Hello and welcome to your weekly 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the Soul. Yes, I'm talking about another episode of the Quadcast, the podcast which is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. As I record this Monday afternoon, March 14, the NCAA men's tournament brackets have been unveiled. So I ask you, who you got? As a proud graduate of Providence College, I will be keying in on Thursday afternoon at 12.40 when my friars take on the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. Yes, I said Jackrabbits. What an awesome nickname. While I do not know too much about SDSU, what I do know is they can light up a scoreboard. They rank second in the nation, in fact, behind Gonzaga in scoring proficiency. So my number four seeded team had better be prepared to defend against the number 13 seed. It has been an amazing year for my alma mater to date, finishing the regular season at 25-5 and and winning the outright Big East regular season title. But failing to reach at least the Sweet 16 will somehow feel like a disappointment. It is now or never, fellas, so let's do this. That said, Today's episode is going to be a special one because it combines two things that have been front and center for most of my life, sports and spinal cord injury. I was 23 years old in 1991 working my dream job in sports television. NFL Sundays were always fun days to work, not only because there were a million TVs with which to watch each and every game on, but I was able to cut highlights that would tell the story of how they all ended. Week 12 of the season was November 17, and the day started out just as any other. However, late in the fourth quarter of the Detroit Lions-Los Angeles Rams game, that would change because Lions offensive lineman Mike Utley injured his spinal cord, doing something he will tell us he had done a million times prior to that fateful play, blocking. I recall watching in shock as he lay on the field, wondering what it must be like to feel paralyzed. Little did I know that less than a year later, I would find out for myself. I could not be more thrilled today because the man himself, Mike Utley, is my guest. We will find out all about him, from where he grew up to his love of football, blocking for the great Barry Sanders, the day that changed his life, and of all the great work that he and the Mike Utley Foundation continue to do today for those of us living with spinal cord injury. And that, my friends, comes your way next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury, by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. And we are back. Remember, you can find the podcast on the following hosts. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
and it is now my pleasure to introduce and give a big thumbs up to the aforementioned Mike Utley. Welcome, Mike, and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, John, it's good to be with you, my friend. Good to be. Oh, I tell you, I've been waiting a long time to get to speak with you. And why don't we get right into it the way I usually like to do is because I know that these injuries that we have had do not define who we were and who we are. So why don't we begin at the beginning? Where did you grow up and what were some things that you liked to do as a young person? You know, I grew up in South Seattle. I had mom and dad, two older brothers, younger sister. And, you know, it was, uh, growing up, uh, it was, um, I was the smallest kid of the four kids. And so, but still larger than my buddies. So at that time I played with kids, uh, a couple of years older, but number one thing as kids at that age and that time of the, uh, growing up in, in, in America, your kids were outside to be seen, not heard. And back in before the lights came on and the street lights came on. And that's just the way we grew up with mom and dad. Dad was a boss, but don't ask mom to ask you twice. Dad wouldn't let <laughs> Right. It was a different world, right, Mike? It's different. I tell you what, I, I don't think it's for the better, my friend. I don't think it's for the better. Yeah, I'm with you right there. So were you an outdoorsy guy? Were you, uh, um, you know, hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff? Or did you gravitate mostly to sports? Well, you know, for me, camping's Motel 6, and there's no room service. So <laughs> that's as far as camping goes, goes for me. Um, it, you know what it was? It was just outside, just being outside. You know, my parents allowed us to play, you know, those different sports. Um, but, again, you, it, you had rules. Do your homework, you know, do your charity. Um, you know, after church, you help the, uh, the priests and the nuns at the convent or the rectory and and things like that. And it just, I just, for me, academics was so hard compared to my brothers and sister that they, my parents allowed me to, you know, do the, do the schoolwork for 45 minutes, go outside and play for 30 minutes, come back in for 45 minutes, go outside and play. So my parents figured out that I was just a different kid, learned differently than my brother and sister. And it just, you know, they they gave me the opportunity to um, express myself uh, in through athletics. Mm-hmm. And that's great to have parents that are that are willing to do that. I don't have children of my own, but I could see how, you know, no two like we say, no two spinal cord injuries are the same. No two children are the same. And so some folks that might learn quickly, others might need to go about it a different way. And it sounds like your parents adapted to, to you and, and how you were growing up. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. I was the first kid to wrestle with dad, and I was the last kid to leave. (laughs) Physically, I was just that. That's the way I expressed myself as a kid growing up through physicalness. Um, And my parents knew the difference. And as you know, later on in life, once I became a more aggressive and and testosterone, this beautiful drug called testosterone, started pumping. Through a young man's body, um, it just my dad knew that. Just he always said, if you use what you learn, you know, to fight off the field, you're done. Do you understand? I said, yes, sir. And yeah. so that's you know, my dad was a very man of very few words, but when he spoke, 
you damn well better listen. Yeah, yeah, I can. It sounds that way, and I could see from uh, the fearless video that your wife Danny sent over. I, I, it was great. The interviews with both of your parents. You could see, you know, the love in their eyes, and and you could see the the upbringing that they instilled in you. And so, talk to me about now. You said you were the smallest one in the family at the beginning, but I'm sure. Uh, as you started to grow, uh, you, literally and figuratively, you became bigger than than most of your friends. And uh, tell us about how you found football, or did football find you? It's kind of funny you say that. Uh, it was one of those things, as you know, with Pee Wee, you you play with kids two years older, but then this when this thing called uh, high school came around, then you start playing with kids your own age, and voila. <laughs> It just, um, it just seemed to um, kind of gravitate to that. Let's put it this way. There's there's the Michael Jordans of basketball. Uh, that wasn't me. I was more of the Mike Tyson of basketball. <laughs> you know, it was just, I liked it. I did the wrestling. I did the, uh, I tried the track. I didn't like that too much. I tried the shot and discus. I didn't like that too much. Basketball was just a pastime until the spring to get into the weight room and, and then finally the fall for football. Mm. Um, it just, I just gravitated to the physicalness of football yeah. where you don't have that in basketball and we didn't have hockey, which is if you can't play football, go play hockey, I suppose. Right. But, you know, it was just one of those things that I just gravitated to the physicalness that I was allowed to express in football. And that just truly, um, you know, what it was for me. Yeah. And Mike, was it always, um, as you grew and, and were bigger than everybody else, was it always, okay, let's get this guy in the offensive line or did you, uh, did they give you the ball to run it so you could run everybody over? Or was that not even an option? You were just like, all right, get this guy on the line because the hand-eye coordination might not be the greatest thing. You know, it's funny you say that. I was a late bloomer, my good man. I was late as all get out. But <laughs> it just, you know, my body, you know, I was bigger, I was taller, but I just wasn't developed early and so later on i started getting the harder muscles and that you know guys you know i got buddies that are shaving in grade school for god's sakes and and they you know they fizzled out in high school and then you know then you had the freshman sophomores that really developed and i was a junior senior when i really started developing then even into first year in college where i really got to the point where that's that was where I, you know, it's just, you know, the, I don't know, the, the hard muscles, the manhood and the shaving started, Sure, I suppose. Sure. You know, I've had a couple of other football players that have had spinal cord injuries on with me. I don't know whether, you know, Eric Legrand, who played at Rutgers, was on with me. Yep. yep. And uh, and then Adam Taliaferro played at Penn State and he had come on with me. So I, I had a fun time asking them about recruiting. So I'll ask you, it's a little different. They were a little bit, they're a little bit younger than you and I. So, so the games uh, recruiting has really changed over the years, but what schools were most interested in you? You say you were a late bloomer. So I don't know maybe if there were a ton and then ultimately how come you chose Washington state? Well, that, you know, that's a good question. I, you know, growing up, you know, I was, it was just the high school. I was in for the moment. I really didn't think much at, but then, you know, the senior year came along and, you know, I, I did well. And some, 
people started recruiting, you know, the pack, you know, back then pack 10. Um, but I thought it, you know, my God, it was great to be a, uh, Wolverine, that kind of stuff, but got the letter back and saying that's too small. And uh-huh. yeah, which, which was true. I was the max I was in high school was two fifty. Okay. And no, that wasn't, you know, it was, it's still soft, you know, at that point. Sure. And, then, um, it, it truly came down to John to two places, University of Oregon and Washington State. Okay. Coach Rich Brooks from Oregon and um, uh, Coach Walden from Washington State. And I was recruited more as a defensive guy back then. And all of a sudden, I just said, you know, at the last moment, I thank Coach Brooks for the opportunity and I signed with Washington State. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a small town schools. Both schools were great. But Pullman just drew me there the day I, you know, flew in on a little, you know, a little uh, flap your own arms plane. jumper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Into Pullman. And I just, it was, it was the right school for Mike Utley at that time. That's, no regrets. Yeah. That's no regrets. great to hear because nowadays you see these kids and they're all in this thing called the portal where they go somewhere and if they get beat out or if they're not first string by the, by the first week or second week, they're already transferring out. And so it's, it's uh, pleasant to hear that, that you hit it off right away. And, you said they sort of recruited you as a defensive player. Did did they quickly find out that you were an offensive lineman? And and you talk about being light at the time, two fifty. Uh, putting that weight on was uh, was the main goal for you at that point, right? You know, I knew to be in the pack ten, to be a lineman in the pack ten, you had to be three hundred pounds. And everyone kept telling me, "No, you got to be lighter and quick, and this kind of yak and yak and." But I knew you had to be 300 pounds, and, and so I knew that. And the, the thing is, is um, we had one coach, um, Coach um, Steve Morton. He saw that I got trapped three times in a row as a defensive uh, as a defensive end, and he says, "Come over here and trap this guy." I say, "What's that?" Well, do what he this guy did to you for three times in a row, <laughs> and, I, and I did that, and he goes boy, I think I'm going to make you on my side. Yep. And so then and there, and ultimately, you know, he was, he was a coach that uh, he said, you're going to be the first six, six guard in the, in the NFL. And this is when I was young and coach Steve Morton. Yeah. And then, um, you know, ultimately uh, that was my red shirt freshman year. And then uh, when it came to 1985, my first eligibility year, it, um, he said the um, coach says, okay, starting offense gets up there and all five fifth-year senior goes up. And then all of a sudden, John, this statement comes out. Williams, out, Utley, rookie, get in. Oh, boy. And I was a uh, four-year starter in the third regular or fifth game or something like that in 89. I think it was the third, third regular season game. Uh, the starting right guard went down with a, you know, with a bum knee, hurt his knee right. and they moved me uh, into the guard and they uh, moved the fifth year senior back at right tackle. And that's where I stayed for four years. Unbelievable. So you get your break 
when, uh, when as often it happens, right? If somebody goes down, I know uh, they sort of credit Bill Belichick over the last, you know, so many years where he, he has been given the, uh, you know, the slogan, next man up, right? So you were the next man up and you never left. That's terrific. Well, John, what it is is that um, I started at right tackle first. Okay. And they literally at the first, first practice of fall 1985, they literally, all fifth seniors walked up there and they kicked a fifth year senior out. Okay. And put me, so I was a redshirt freshman starting with four fifth year seniors. Wow. That's amazing. And, and that's, and then the, then as a tackle, then the right guard went down and then they moved me into guard okay. and moved the starting or the uh, fifth year senior right tackle. That was my backup. He moved him in there. And, but I never left the guard spot for oh. some reason, that, you know, polling was, uh, my little niche and yeah. I would, that's what I be, you know, became noticed, noticed for. Okay. And now when Mike, does the NFL start to come across your radar? Is it your junior year, your senior year? And, and when do you start thinking like, oh my goodness, I might be able to make a living playing this sport of football. Well, I don't know if it was making a living, but it, what it was is that I was able to still play. And I was truly at, uh, my, my fifth year, my, you know, fourth year starting for the, for the Cougars. And, and we just got done uh, playing in the Aloha Bowl. And I did a few, um, the East West Shrine game and the, um, uh, oh, there was one other one I forgot now, but sure. it was the Hawaii Bowl. Okay. Um, and, they, you know, I just, God, I played with these next to these guys and, you know, it worked out well. Then, they, you know, then um, these scouts started coming by and started getting the, you know, getting tested and doing this jumping, you know, you know, lifting, running, pulling this and that. And it just, it just kept small things like that just kept going. And then um, when it came to, um, you know, the draft and then, the, you know, uh, the Lions came a knocking and I third round, third pick 59th player picked and it was never, I never looked back. Yeah. You know, the NFL now, the, the way they do things, it's like 24, seven, 365. I mean, now we're into free agency and you put the network on now and they've got reporters and basically every city and they're going down where the free agents are going and, and it's a completely different thing. So and especially now with the draft, how they have cameras in everybody's home. Take us back yeah. to draft day. I mean, obviously, you know, you're going to get drafted and I'm sure you've spoken with pretty much all the teams in the league. But when you find out, first of all, where were you on draft day? And then tell us what it was like when you find out that it's the Detroit Lions in the third round. You know, that's, you know, that's a great question. It was I happened to my agent, Bruce Allen, who's the son of uh, George Allen, the longtime Washington Redskin coach. Wow. But they had, it was GBA Sports in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I was, they were having a get together, and a bunch of the players are there, a little get together. And um, just, it, it was, uh, Bruce was talking, and the first round came by, then the uh, second round was there. And then the, um, Lions just said, uh, we're drafting, you know, Mike Utley and <laughs> yeah. two, re two reasons. One, your name was picked. Sure. Okay. And as, as I had a couple of ball players tell me, 
he goes, you know, these guys played 10, 110, 112 years in the NFL, and they just fly out and said, it's a pure sprint. Once you get to the NFL, it is a sprint. Don't look back. But then once you get there, it's a pure marathon. How long can you last? Yeah. And they just, they just basically said, you know, um, get in there, say true to yourself. And when the Lions called and, you know, Mr. Chuck Schmidt was on the phone and he says, boy, we're drafting you and we want to fly you out uh, tonight and for a press conference, you know, kind of a thing. And sure. I said, I said, yes, sir. And so I was on a plane right then and there flying out to Detroit. And that I have to admit that moment landing in Detroit, getting escorted to the uh, at that time, the server dome. And we had a press conference. It was Barry Sanders, John Ford, and myself up on the podium. It was, it was totally, totally rocking. It was killer. You must have felt like Leonardo DiCaprio in, in Titanic. I'm the king of the world, right? Look at me here. Obviously, <laughs> you didn't know what Barry Sanders would become. I mean, obviously, you knew how great he was. But my gosh, to be up on the stage with, with, those, with that class, it must have been, you know, all the hard work and your dad and mom probably driving you to, to youth games as a kid. I bet all of that is is coming across your radar screen. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny that you say it that way. My brain doesn't think like that. Guys. <laughs> no, That's just in the that. movies, right? Just in the movies. You know, it's, it, it is what it is right now. Yeah. And I, you, you remember your past and the sacrifice of your parents, you know, getting, you know, allowing you to do these things and, yeah. you know, and, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it was, it was real. It was reality. And it, this, this same thing happened to me again, John, it literally the first day of, um, of, uh, everyone's together, everybody's there. And he goes, all right, first team offense up. And then all of a sudden, right then and there, he says, Coach Fon says, Milena, check out. Rookie Utley, get in. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Just like that. Oh, man. That's how it, it went down, huh? And it just, it's the same. It was, it was a scenario just like it was in college. And it truly happened that quickly. And it, um, it's real, Bill. And that's why. I, I, you know, when, when people, we all, John, we all face adversity. I know this gets off the sidetrack a little bit. Yeah. Football, yep. But we all face adversity. Everybody, everybody faces it sometime and during your life during the day. And, you know, we just, you, as a man, you got to get the man right, you know, and get back on the track. If mm-hmm. you're a young lady, you get the woman right, get back on the track, pull your big penny, you know, pennies up, the yep. thong up. Whatever you, whatever you choose to wear, sure. You know, just get them and let's go. Yeah. And yep. Why yep. I've everything I've ever done, I've always started. I have never, never been fired. I've never. Oh, I did quit once, and that was piano. But, <laughs> but I sucked. That's okay. You know, yeah. It's I have never quit a dang thing in my entire life. Yeah. And, and uh, the reality is. Adversity can't change you unless you allow it to. Yes. Which brings us to November 17, 1991. 
Mike, what do you remember before, during, and after that snap that changed your life? Oh, no, is we were we weren't winning at the game at the time, but we were beating the Rams. We physically were better a football team than the Rams on that given Sunday. Yeah, and it just it you know Kramer he just comes up and calls a pass play and and it was just one of those things. I just doing my job and. And I went to take a guy's legs out. He caught my shoulders, pulled me down, and I hit my head and broke my neck. And how many it's, times over your career in in high school and in college and now in the pros had you been in a situation exactly like that? I'm sure a million times. Well, yeah. You know, there, there's people don't realize it. It, it comes up. It, it this My particular situation was – um, it was the 11th game of the season. We've had four, four preseason and two weeks, so six weeks. So 17 weeks of playing ball already, or maybe it was 18 weeks, something like that. Um, I, it, I, John, I did my first year in the NFL, the fifth game of the season, I broke my leg. So I was done. I come back, start again. Third preseason game, I break two ribs. Come back after four weeks, start again, separate my right shoulder. Uh. Come back, start again, separate my right hip. Came back and finish off the season. So I never made it a full season. And then when 91 came around, I literally, it was uh, it was a dream come true. I was doing well. I had all my injuries God willing, behind me, and I was just plucking along, doing my doing my business with the fellas, and yep. and oh, life was good, you know, and just I, my legs were exhausted, literally exhausted, mm-hmm. and I got caught that one moment. It I wish it never happened, but uh, the good man caught me, and um, that was that. Yeah, and and oh, by the way, on the play, Eric Kramer throws a touchdown pass. Um, which, you know, everybody's rejoicing that. And then, oh, they look on the field and they see uh, you were on the ground at the time. So it went from elation to, oh, my goodness. And then, yeah. you know, what was amazing is before you left the field, you you gave that iconic thumbs up sign, which has become your calling card, I know, for your uh, for your foundation and whatnot. But first of all, was that just a spontaneous gesture? Um, and if not, was it for anyone in particular? Well, you know, it's one of these things, you know, all the fellas, you know, I mean, just, just first of all, thank God I was getting the hell kicked out of me because that would suck. <laughs> Reliving, you know, like the agony, the feet on the wide world's record, you know, sports, that guy falling off the edge there. Yes. But, you know, um, it was just one of those things, all the fellas, he goes, hey, Ellie, we're going to get this one for you, buddy. Hang in there, dude. Hang in there. Yep. We're going to get this one. And... Then I then you hear the crowd, just it was one of the inside cheering that oh good guy the guy's got hurt no that just it it's the recognition of the crowd and you hear them and my good man I wanted to let them know that Mike Utley is down not out and he will be back yeah and that's what I wanted to let everybody from the fellas, but, you know, mainly the crowd in Detroit where they really truly erupted. And I wanted to let them know 
then I will be back. Yeah. And not only that, not only the crowd there, but the, the television audience, because I was watching here in New Jersey and I saw the thumbs up and it, it gives everybody a little wind in their sails. Like, hey, listen, you know, this is not the end of the world right now. And, and you know, there's there's some movement still left here. Nobody really knows until, you know, the next couple of days and they find out exactly what's wrong. But you gave everybody a little, you know, all right, it's it's going to be OK, maybe. Yeah. Well, who knows? Like I said, I've, yep. I've been hurt before. Yep. I've lost feeling down my, you know, hamstrings before. I've lost feeling in my arms and my fingers. And, you know, but this time I truly lost strength and it really kind of threw a wrench in that kind of a it whole sure shebang. Well, what were you told initially by your doctors and how did it affect you? I know a lot of people think, oh, God, it's how it affects people physically, a spinal cord injury. But what they don't realize is how it can really and truly affect you mentally. So what was that like? What were you told and how did it you process that in your brain? <laughs> John, it, uh, I'm a man of few words if you haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> I sure have. The uh, the doctor comes in and he goes, boy, you'll never walk again. I said, sir, get the hell out of my room. Don't tell me or anybody they can't do something. And that was it. Yeah. That was that. It's simple as that. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, when they, when I broke my leg, they said I'd never play football again. And then when they, when I broke my ribs, they, you know, the two ribs and they said, you'd be done eight weeks. I came back and played again after four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and when I separated my hip, they said this, then they, you know, separated my shoulders, it's going to take you this long. And everybody's been wrong ever before. Now, is this a little bit different? Sure it is. But, you know, John, adversity can't change you unless you allow it to. Yeah. Now, the leg, the ribs, the shoulder, and everything else I've faced athletically has not changed the drive and and the the feeling I have for the great game of football, or this, or the desire to win, yeah, on anything and everything I put my name to, and there's this is no different mm-hmm. now and again. It's mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it still sucks, right? But but it gave it you is, incentive. It gave you incentive, as if to say, "Hey, Doc, take off. I don't want to hear that right now." And you know, oh, it might kind of be true. You're looking at on on the films and on the. MRIs and things like that, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to give all I have to try and prove you wrong, which obviously you have, you have certainly done so. And now tell me, where did you rehab and did you attack PT and OT the same way you did the weight room and all those defensive ends you had to fight against for all those years? Well, I, when I first, I was, a, you know, I did all my surgeries. Dr. Mayer did a great job in Detroit, the way he put the curvature in my neck and so on and so forth. And, you know, but I was in a month in, in Detroit and it just, I needed a specific spinal cord rehab center. And that's when they sent me to Craig hospital in Inglewood, Colorado. And I, they hooked me up with a, a PT, Sharon Blackburn, uh, a, a, uh, OT Sue, a rec therapist, Bert Minardi. And that's, you know, the group, they realized I was a different, a different cat. I was just a different mentality. I showed up early, stayed late. I demand your time when you're, when you're right there working with me and I'm still friends with all three of them. 
even today. That's great. Uh, and because they realized I will demand out of them exactly what I demand out of myself. Nothing less, nothing more, but for sure, God dang it, nothing less. And I want you to teach me. I'm at the level A, B right now. You teach me A, B, but I want C. Yeah. So I, I'll work that out. I'll work on C when it's the weekend or at the evening time when, you know, everyone goes away and, you know, they're, they got their lives to live and so on and so forth. And again, I, it isn't the same way I, I did it as, as an athlete. Of course it is, because I don't know any other thing different. Sure. Sure. And so, so it, exactly what, what is the injury level? And when you get to Craig, what is your condition? What is your, you know, movement? What is your function level? Tell us a little bit about that. Technically, I'm a C567 quad. My function level is about a C67. Um, now, my hands, uh they were very limited, very, very. I team pieces where you you grab something and you bend your wrist backwards, and that kind of kind of help closes the grip a little sure, bit. Sure. Uh, and so that's the function I had from basically from mid chest down. Um, I was, um, you know, not complete, but they just said that's my function level, and then you know from there. Um, I was, um, a few months there and then I started, um, you know, looking around me for other things and that was standing, that was walking with, with braces and that was, uh, in parallel bars, finding the weight room, getting, you know, getting folks, the nutritionist, you know, getting, and just, just packing the situation, yeah. I'm not excited. I'm not upset. I'm just, this is just strictly business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now tell us about something that you and I were speaking with off the air before we came on, something that I am going to to definitely look into that I know was huge in your recovery. Tell me about biofeedback and what your first session was like and how it changed the trajectory of your improvement. Well, what it is is that there's a gentleman, uh, his name is Dr. Barth Green. He was at, you know, at the University of Miami School of Medicine with the Bonacani Project. And um, anyway, that um, he, he got a hold of Bruce Allen. Bruce Allen got a hold of me. And, and anyway, Doc says, once he gets done with Craig Hospital, you get him hooked up with Dr. Bernard Brucker and biofeedback. Dr. Brucker, decades ago, in the late 60s, developed a program where you can find healthy cells through your spinal cord by hooking electrodes and having these electrodes read in microvolts electricity in your body that's created by your brain mm -hmm. through your spinal cord. And basically it taught you how to find healthy cells through your spinal cord. Uh, it was originally designed for gymnasts, but um, it really works out with CP and spinal cord injury folk finding healthy cells because we have multiple pathways to each party part that uh, function. God created a very, very um, complex machine piece of machinery in humans. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And Mike, did you start um, initially with your upper body? You started with your arms and hands and fingers? Yes. Matter of fact, the first time I did biofeedback, 
uh, the doctor hooked up uh, just on your on your top of your forearms just to move your fingers, my right hand, and I moved my no ticket finger up just a little bit, and it, it registered up on the computer cells through your mm-hmm. and that's it just i was hooked ever since and i said doc you fi- help me find healthy cells and i promise you i will build muscle and i did it for decades yeah and i'm sure that athlete and you wanted to push those bars up further and further with each rep right mike absolutely you know the hardest part is is finding therapists that have the same mentality you do and then once i realized i had to be white on rice and pound them to every bit of the uh, my being sure you know what i found good people and dr brucker he's passed now but he had he allowed me to be me and i attacked the problem yeah and you mentioned about finding good people in your life. I know there came a point a point where you moved from the Colorado area back to your home state of Washington, uh, and you started working out at a Gold's Gym, and you you met a young lady in the gym who is now your wife. Tell us about uh, Danny <laughs> and uh, and how that all came together. Oh my goodness, she must have paid you. <laughs> um, it, you know what? It, the reality is, you know, life goes on. Um, even though my body wasn't quite um, what it used to be when I was a pro athlete, the mind is the same way, same, you know, drive to win and conquer and, and have it your way, like Burger King. And it just, you know, it was a young lady there, a little blonde, blue-eyed gal that was in the gym. The owner of the, of the gym was training her and so on and so forth. And Blair McKinney was training me afterwards. And it just got to a point in time, my version of the story goes, that she kept asking me out. She, <laughs> I wouldn't say yes, but I wouldn't say no. Yeah. And it just got to a point, finally, she broke me down and, and I relented. And, you know, we've been together ever since. Uh, well, that, yeah, there's always two stories, right, Mike? Yours and yes. hers, and there's truth always lies and, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, well, you you asking me, so I'm telling you my version. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was one of those things. The biggest part is Danielle. Um, she was a started out as a little firefighter, and then she became an EMT, then she became a medic, and then she became a uh, flight medic, and then ultimately, you know, we were married and all that kind of stuff, and she retired from being a, a medic, and they came back in a small town. When at you, Washington, they came back and asked, Hey, would you want to be a deputy coroner and, you know, give, you know, the coroner a break, you know, on during, you know, for vacations and, and weekends sure. and so forth. So she said, sure. So she became a deputy coroner and it was one of those things. She's been in a male dominated profession, her whole career, mm-hmm. you know, adult wise. And so she's, you know, she is one little fire pistol and that, you know, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. She's very Competitive, and that's what I like. That's what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's understanding. She understands, you know, that I'm pure boy, and she knows how to rein that crap in. Sometimes that's good. She puts you in your place. Yes, sir. Oh, a six foot six, three hundred pounder. She puts you in your place. Now, you mentioned before about competitive. A lot of people think following spinal cord injuries that you know being able to do 
things that are still competitive is is out of the question. But you, my friend, have certainly not given into that. I see you're a big adrenaline sports guy in martial arts and scuba diving. Tell us about some of the activities that you still like to do and uh, how they've sort of helped you mentally recover. You know, it's, you know, life has been good, you know, and I don't know if Danielle told you, but I'm going to tell you, it's on, and of 2018, up until 2018, I had my doctor's cell number that if I didn't, you know, if I needed something, I just called them up and that was that. I didn't think I did. That was my extent of dealing with doctors. Not that I don't like doctors. I just had no need for them you know, kind of thing. I, my bowel bladder skin has been good. I have had not one issue in all my years for 27 years. And then one day of August of 2018, I woke up and said, honey, I don't feel very good. Yeah. I haven't said that for all the years we've been together, uh, 17 years or so. And, uh, and I just, I, I just, uh, so like next day I, I went to, you know, I told, I woke up again, it was on a Tuesday and I said, I still don't feel very good. I feel worse. And so let's go to the ER. So we went to the ER. They says, you got a bladder infection. So here's some antibiotics, go back. Yeah. You know what? I've had a bladder infection, you know, in all my years cause I cast and, and you know, nothing ever came of it. I sure. took pills and, and it went away. Um, but then Wednesday, I felt worse, went back again on Thursday. They said, you got a kidney infection, never had a kidney infection, but still something wasn't right. Long story short, I went back Friday and I called a friend of mine. I, she was a spinal cord doc and she goes, go back to the ER and have that doctor call me and I want some tests done. Yeah back to here in St. George, Utah, I go back to the ER a third time and thank God I ran into a third ER doctor who happened to be a Washington state Cougar graduate. Oh. And he, and he says, Mr. Ellie, you don't remember me, but we have met. You were so gracious to my girlfriend. Now my wife, uh, back then, you, what can I do to help you? What a small I, world, huh, Mike? Yes, sir. And that's why I tell everyone, you've got to mind your P's and Q's in and out of your house. Mm -hmm. And anyway, he calls and, and they end up life flighting me back to Colorado. And four surgeries and five months later, I had what they had, a spinal cord infection called MSSA that destroyed T9, 10, 11 vertebra in the four discs. And now I have what they call a corpectomy and I have a little gizmo, looks like the size of a Red Bull can that sits under T8 and above T12. And I have rods between my shoulder blades at T5 all the way down to L4 just above with a good God split you. Oh my gosh. No, Danny did not mention any of this. What causes that, Mike? They, they, the doctors don't know where it came from, but it just, it, obviously it was in my system from my spinal cord injury. Somehow, some way it got in there and it found a weak spot and it just, I, I didn't, we had no idea. Oh my gosh. That's frightening. I was lifting, I was conditioning, I was just living life. 
you know, in the weight room, like I have been for, for the last decades. Yeah. Jumping out of airplanes and riding sea dews and all of the above. Yeah. I was living, you yeah. know, we were, he was living life. And then, and so Danny knew something wasn't right because I have never said, honey, I don't feel very good. Yeah. And so, but anyway, long story short, now what I, what things I enjoy is getting on my hand cycle. I have a smaller weight room here in the house down here. And then I get out and, and when it's, when it's above 55 degrees, I go outside. And when it's above 55, I go out and anywhere push from three miles to five miles in my wheelchair. And I just push around the neighborhood up and down the hills and just, just, you know, just do the same thing I did when I ran, when I was on the treadmill or I was in the, the weight room mm -hmm. or, you know, just, just doing my athletic thing outside. Mm -hmm. As you said, living your life. That's, that's all we yeah. ever really want following our injuries is to be as independent as we possibly can and to just, you know, be, just live our lives. And so that's awesome that you're, you're able to do that still. Um, and now let's talk about probably what is your pride and joy these days, the Mike Utley Foundation. What is your main goal? What are you most proud of? And how can my listeners find out more about it and contribute if they wish? Hey, John, thanks for asking. It is, it's the Mike Utley Foundation. They go to mikeutley.org. And number one is research, education, and rehabilitation in that order. And it's we're going to get more people out pushing these doctors to do you know, the research and, and the second thing is education and, you know, educate not only a person in the chair, but the community around, because like I say, life's a choice. You've got to choose the way you want to live and the how you want to live. And the last one is rehabilitation. It's a, life's a game. Just play to win. Guys, girls, play to win. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be disrespectful. You can be honorable and, and get in there and uh, attack the problems, not attack the person. If there's a problem, you attack it. And, you know, that's the one thing I told Danielle decades ago. I'm not your girlfriend. If there's a problem, let's fix it. If not, let's move on. Yeah. And that's, that's the way, you know, with the Mike Elliott Foundation, I encourage people, live your life. And especially if you have kids, you have a chance to leave a hundred year legacy by what you do with these rugrats. Teach them to be men, teach them to be ladies, not better than one another, just different from one another and let people grow up and start being productive part of the society instead of a burden on society. Yeah. Mike, give us that website one more time. It's Mike Utley, M-I-K-E-U-T-L-E-Y dot O-R-G, MikeUtley.org. Excellent. And I have two more for you. First of all, what's next for Mike Utley and, and Danny? What is the, the next goal that you have in mind, either for you personally or the foundation? You know, if, when it comes to the foundation, our biggest thing is now, you know, just because of these, you know, since 2018, I haven't been able to, you know, get out there and do the corporate speaking and, and the, you know, all that, you know, the bike tours and, and things like that. 
So, you know, we're relying on people that, you know, do what they can, the first and 10 club and so on and so forth. Our, what we really like to do is two aspects with the foundation. One is make these terrain parks to, at these rehab centers where people can go out there and challenge their skill sets in different, you know, um, parts of um, the stairs, ramps, curbs, gravel, you know, dirt, sand, beauty bark, and just get out there and train yourself to get out there in the real world. But the other thing is, is challenging people to get out and challenge yourself on a daily basis, encouraging you as your family member, head, head of the household, to challenge you know, people in your neighborhood to make a difference. And, but the other thing, when it comes to Danielle and I, you know, she takes care of her mother, you know, who we, we got a place next door so she can help her out on a daily basis. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's one of these things, what we truly like to do, John, is we love shooting at the, at the gun range. We have our guns, we go there and we shoot. And the, at the end of the day, after being coached or after having a good day of shooting, we love to have one shot, lose your pace for lunch. And that's what we like to do. We still compete on everything we do. So my thing is I really enjoy spending time with Danielle because we're so competitive. It's fun to fun for us to do those things. That's terrific. It's so refreshing to hear uh, you've been together for a number of years now and that it's still uh, the way it was when you first met. That's terrific. And so I always ask this final question of all of the folks that I have on that have had spinal cord injuries. And it's the way it came about is I was waiting in a long hallway at the doctor's office with a buddy of mine who was a, a, a real good high school friend of mine. Unfortunately, he had a devastating spinal cord injury too. We like to say, gee, we're both a jinx. You know, we go back to high school in the eighties and now here the two of us are, but I was waiting in the hallway with him. And I just said, you know, hey, Tommy, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing you would do? And I could see him pause for a second and I could see the smoke coming out of his ears trying to think of an answer. And then from behind me, I heard someone say, I would go in my garden and fix my flowers. It was a woman. And then a gentleman said, I'd go into my garage and work on my car. And I'm like, wow, these people are all, you know, coming around to this question. So I I pose it to you, Mike Utley, if I could snap my fingers right now, which physically I can't do, but uh, if I could, what would be the first thing that you would do? Oh, you know, when I, when I ask you this, ask, people ask me this clinic question, I kind of said, you know, I like to go running on the beach. Then I said, no, I didn't like running when I was a pro athlete. I <laughs> didn't like doing it. So I wouldn't do that. I would, uh, you know, go skydiving. Nope, I can do that as a crippled dude. Um, I like to go ride a bike. I can ride my hand cycle. I can do those things, you know. What I would do is just go walk out with Danielle and just enjoy the sun, enjoy the moment of this freedom once again from my from from this chair. What a terrific answer that is. It's and all of them are different. I've had I've had a myriad of answers, but that is a special one that uh, you know, you would just like we talked about before, you would want to be and get out of the chair and have a nice walk with your bride. That is Absolutely awesome. Mike, before we go, I just have to let you know that my sister married a Michigander who is a huge Detroit Lions fan. So I want you to know that my brother-in-law, Chad Starlin, pulled for you for all those years, and he wanted me to uh, to let you know that. 
Oh, that's cool, man. I tell you, it's a little rough being a Lions fan nowadays. Holy schmokeronies. <laughs> well, he has the, hey. I guess the nickname for them in and around the area is the Lie Downs. I've heard that one for many years. Oh, that's so sad. No, no. I hopefully Chris Spillman and, you know, and, the, you know, now the, um, the daughter of Mrs. Ford, you know, Mr. Ford. Yes. Uh, um, uh, she'll be able to, uh, put her, her, her army boot in the backside of these guys and get them back on track of the winning ways. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, Mike Utley, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, as I mentioned, when I first put this podcast together, uh, two years ago, when at the height of COVID, when everybody was locked down and I was looking for something to do, you know, you look around at, at, you know, famous people who have had spinal cord injuries, and obviously your name came right to the top of the list. And so it has been my pleasure to have you on to learn more about you. Uh, as a, again, the video that Danny sent me was terrific. I was able to, to glean a lot of information to put these questions together today. And for you to carve some time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us was terrific. Thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it. You bet, John. Anytime, my friend. I have always admired Mike Utley from afar for his courage, fortitude, strength, and class in facing such adversity on a national stage. It is not often that you get to talk to folks that you look up to, but today I certainly did. Thank you again, Mike, for coming on and inspiring not only me, but anyone you come into contact with. And special thanks to your wife, Danny, for setting this all up. She was terrific. And speaking of thank yous, Thank you to Chris Parapesco at Harbor Picture Company in New York City. I appreciate the work you do on this endeavor. And until next time, and on behalf of my wonderful co-worker and service dog, Yilkin, I am John McAlevey, and we thank you for your time. I don't care about no wheelchair. I got so much fun.